You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, I am not sure what you've heard this week, but now you're going to hear some of my thoughts on Sabbath. But before that, I want to ask you a question. It's a simple question. Maybe you know the answer. Why did God rest? I think that we can likely rule out theologically that God was pooped. God had not worn himself out by creating for seven days. We cannot theologically support that idea that God was worn out and he was just over the edge and he had to have a day off. Uh, Maybe was it because we need to rest? So he was giving us an example because he knew that we would be pooped after six days of work. You think maybe that's more like it? Well, you know, the Jewish theologians who've been chewing on the bone of Sabbath for decades and centuries longer than evangelicals or Christians, they say that's absolutely not allowed. That's not good theology. Isn't that surprising? And they, one of the people that has a very good voice on this is Abram Heschel, who wrote a little book called Sabbath, and he rejected this idea entirely. He said that we do not rest so that we can be beasts of burdens on Monday. We arrest as an act of remembrance that we are not an animal, we are not an ox, we are not a beast of burden. So if you think that God gave us rest because we're an ox and we have to pull this big load and then we need to fall on our couch and sleep for a day and then we need to go out and carry the load again, Abraham Heschel says that's absolutely not true. That the rest of God is tied not to us being a beast of burden, but it's tied to us having an identity. Exodus 31.12 is one of the verses that Abraham Heschel talks about and it's the Lord says this to Moses. You must observe my Sabbath, and this will be a sign between you and me for your generation and generations to come, so you will know that I am the Lord and I am the one who makes you holy. So Abraham Heschel says that keeping Sabbath is a sign more than anything else, and it's a sign of identity. It's a sign of who you are. So Sabbath is one of the ways that God signifies that you belong to him and that he belongs to you and that that's who you are. Now, uh, a sign does not create a relationship. A sign rather points to a relationship. Therefore, Sabbath keeping is not about creating a relationship with God. I wear a wedding ring. I've worn a wedding ring for 47 years. That's a long time. Now, I know we use the word partner in our culture, and partner has its purposes, and it serves a purpose, but it doesn't serve me because I am in a vowed relationship. And I wear this wedding ring because it speaks to the relationship in a visible way. And when you meet someone, as a woman, when I meet a man, I might actually see them glancing toward my hand to see if I'm in a relationship. And I know you do that too, because we know that a a wedding ring or an engagement ring is a signal, it is a sign of belonging. 
and that's why it's precious to me. I belong somewhere, and someone belongs to me, you see. But the sign also creates space for the relationship to grow. As I wear my wedding ring, it demands that I live a certain kind of life. So you know those songs like Pocket Full of Gold. Maybe you're too young to have heard that song. But when we sing songs about cheating on our spouse, the songs often have an element of taking off the ring and putting it in your pocket or in a little matchbox in the glove compartment. Because if you wear this sign, you are responsible to act in a way that this sign signifies. And when I act in a way that this sign signifies, I begin to make choices for my marriage and for my husband. And what happens to me is he becomes sweeter to me because I'm investing in him. Does that make sense to you? And in that way, by living with this sign on myself all these years, I have also created a better relationship. This, the ring has not made the relationship, but the ring being a sign of the relationship has. And in this way, Sabbath is also about us, not just belonging, but about, about us becoming who God wants us to be. The more we make choices to be with God, to enjoy Him, to be known as His, the sweeter He becomes to us. And then something happens in us and we change. Now, let me say this, that following a law does not change us. Um, let me make a little aside. When I teach or talk, I want you to think. I don't want to tell you what you think. So I'm very comfortable with you disagreeing with anything I say today, because I'm going to try to push your thinking a little bit. So just stay with me, because I'm going to give you a few things to think about and then talk about it later and let it percolate in you and think, is this, is this true? Is what this person said true? But I believe that law does not change us. In fact, Jesus said that where there is law, sin abounds. I think that mask wearing is a real good example of that right now. There's, the more it becomes a law, the more we have two opinions on it, and we either overact on the defiant side or we overact on the legalistic side, and neither of those are what it's about, okay? So this means that it's more helpful for us to think of the Sabbath as a relationship than as a law. As soon as you begin to think of the Sabbath as a law, it will not bring delight in you. So Sabbath keeping is a sign of a relationship we have with the Lord and that he has with us, and it's both public and it's personal. And think about how practical it is. This is another thing I love about the Sabbath keeping. In Exodus 34, the statement is that six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. And even during the plowing and reaping season, you must rest. Now that doesn't mean anything to you if you aren't a farmer. So our first church, we were a couple city kids. We went to Stony Plain Church, and we went to this farming community, and it, it was very dependent on the weather. The farmers there had their land was measured in sections. A section is 640 acres. Asbury campus, is six, the main campus here is 65 acres. So 640 acres, a section, is 10 times Asbury's campus. Now that sounds like a lot, 
But the farmers in our church had four or six sections, and they were all planted. And then a year would come when, when the, just when the crop was ready to be harvested, it would rain and it would get cold. And the fear was that it would freeze before the harvest. And if it did that, they would lose millions of dollars that they had invested. And so everyone in the farming community was on edge. And then one day, the, the rain would stop and the sun would come out. And wouldn't you know it, that would be a Sunday morning. And every farmer in our area was out long before dawn, beginning their harvest. Every farmer? No, not the Gitzels, not the Jespersons. These old German farmers in our church would come to church. And they would sing, and then they'd go home and have dinner with their families, and they'd do what they always did on the Sabbath. And even I was afraid for them. Everyone thought they were crazy. But they would say to me, God gives us the crop. And it was amazing, because our farmers in our church were richer than any of the farmers in our communities. And sometimes they would claim that there would be ice storms that would come by, and it would totally miss their property. It was just amazing. And they, what they were doing was making a strong statement about identity that they were not the ones creating their own blessing. So more than a, just a law or a break, Sabbath keeping reflects a deep personal worldview that we belong to the Lord and that we do not have to create our own blessing, that it is God who is providing for us. And in this way, we are set apart. We are set apart for a life that's different than just pure functionalism. So we go back to the question, why did God rest? I would begin with this premise, that everything that God does is rooted in love. So let's think about this. The ideas of the scripture teaches in Sabbath teaches about rest and holiness. What does it mean to keep it holy? And what does it mean to keep rest? And what are the requirements? Now, rest, people have told us, we've been pastors forever, and people have told us that they get better rest on the golf course or fishing that they do in church. And I think that's true. Although as a pastor's wife, I have slept through some sermons and found them very restful. But maybe the Sabbath would be better off spent as a day of recreation. That is how we could rest to work the next day. Maybe the Sabbath is really about keeping it holy. So every activity of the Sabbath should be about religious things and holy things and church. And that's how I grew up. In my childhood, there was no TV. There was no talking to neighbors on Sunday. There was no playing with toys. You could play with sticks and garbage can lids, but you couldn't play with toys. Definitely no entertainment, those kind of things. Very controlled. You know, those of us who work for the church or serve God, Sunday is definitely not a day of rest. It's a day of working in a different way. And if you're a committed church person, the trying to do a Sunday is, can become huge for you. It's definitely not a day of rest. In fact, one of the people that I've worked with said this to me, a pastor, he said, Doing the work of God is killing the work of God in me. You ever feel like that? Doing your theological studies is killing the work of God in you. That's possible. 
So when you separate holiness and rest, you get a very binary perspective. Is it holiness, is it rest? Do we, do we go have fun, I need to rest? Do we go to church and serve God all day? What if it isn't either of those? What if it isn't a binary question? What if the question is about mystery and invitation? Which takes me back to the fact that the Sabbath idea is rooted in love. Creation was a great act that was rooted and acted in love. God rested out of love. That you can't be certain. Here's what we know. Every day had a beginning and an end. The work was complete. But you know the only day in the scriptures it doesn't have, doesn't say in the, in the begin, and that day, the sixth day was the evening and the morning was the sixth day. The Sabbath day does not have an end. There is no statement in the, in the creation story that there was a beginning and an end to the Sabbath day. It is the only day like that, and it's the only day in the creation that is blessed. That's very interesting to me. God did not go back to work on the eighth day. It doesn't say, and, and God rested on the seventh day, and on the eighth day, God went back to work. Now, this is my big point in case any of you are having a rest in this sermon. I want you to hear this point, okay? What if, now stay with me, what if rest was the last thing God created? What if the last gift that God included in the creation order itself was rest, and that rest was itself the blessing that he put on creation? It said he blessed that day because of the rest that was in it. Okay, that's very interesting to me. If that's true, then rest isn't a law, it isn't an example, it's actually a cosmology. That is, it's an essential part of the nature of the cosmos. If God can speak and breathe and things can become, the sky and the sun and the earth, then God can rest and rest can become. The final act of creation, I think, was a divine generosity placing into creation a blessing that is a sharing of his rest. That means that creation is much more than just a material system of life, but it was to be experienced. He made this beautiful place, and then on it he put his rest so that what he had made would be experienced in expansive peace, harmony, justice, love, the presence of God, and so on. Creation was finished, and God's rest was begun, and all of work was gonna happen in that context of rest. All of relationships was gonna happen in that context of rest. This is the way God lives even to today. God lives in his rest. Everything that God does is within his rest, and he gave us that life by putting rest as a gift of creation. So creation is finished, and God's rest is begun. God, you know, when God was making the world, he didn't have this conversation with himself and say, well, let's make this world, let's create man in our image. Let's make it so she can have migraines. Yes, migraines. Let's give her some irritable bowel syndrome with the stress that she's in. Let's put, let's, let's get people so tense that, that they hurt each other. No, 
All those things happened because of the brokenness. We were not meant to live in that. No, he said, let's make men and women to live like we live. We were meant to live in God's rest, the rest that he placed over creation. Now, very soon, willful disobedience happened, and the creation peace was broken, and when it was broken, the rest of God was also shattered. And quickly, we did not experience rest. After the fall, the language of creation changes. It's, the words are used, painful toil, enmity, rule over you, thorns, sweat of your brow, death. This is no longer the story of God's rest over creation. And this theme of us missing out, living in his rest, is all through the whole scriptures. You can find it all over the place. For instance, Psalm 95 talks about how the children of Israel, their hearts went astray, and they didn't know his ways, so God said, they will never enter my rest. Rest is not a thing we do, it's a thing we enter. So before rest was a law, it was a covering for all of life, something that could be known and experienced. But God's rest was broken, and people moved further and further from any kind of life that was anything like rest. And there are scriptures that reflect that in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, how frustrating life has become. Now, if you're young and you think, this rest thing isn't a big deal for me, if you're not reflective, you may not yet have recognized your own inner quest for rest, which is a human longing. And we fill it with entertainment, we fill it with things, we fill it with pleasures, we fill it with trips to the spa, whatever it is that we can fill it with, even uh, probably, um, you know, football games like this afternoon, which I will be watching or um, Sunday afternoon. <laughs> yeah, shows how much I care. I really don't, but I will be watching it, Super Bowl. Um, Wendell Berry, who's a poet laureate from, for Kentucky, wrote this. He was sitting on the side of a river where he lives watching people. He said, on weekends, the river is disquieted from morning to night by people resting from their work. This resting involves traveling at great speed, first on the road and then on the water. These people are in an emergency to relax. They long for the peace and quiet of the great outdoors. Their eyes are hungry for scenes of nature. They go very fast in their boats. They stir the river like a spoon in a cup of coffee. They play their radios loud enough to hear above the noise of their motors. They look neither left nor right. They don't slow down for, or maybe even see, the old man in a rowboat raising his lines. The fishermen have the fastest boats of all. Their boats scarcely touch the water. They have much equipment, thousands of dollars worth. They can't fish in one place for fear there will be more fish in another place. For rest, they have perfect restlessness. Now, I have to really shorten these ideas, but let me say this to you. There is no mention of Sabbath or keeping of day of rest in the creation story. And God could have done that. He could have said, this is the garden, you're supposed to name things, have stewardship, don't eat out of this, don't eat out of that, and uh, by the way, on one day a week you rest. No, because rest was a way. Rest becomes ritualized in the, in the Ten Commandments. It's, it's like now it's not a way of life, but a way to signify a lost way of life, to give us a taste for it. And instead, rest becomes a sign and a necessity. So I want you to catch this. We were intended to live a life of rest, and we have smashed that to pieces. And so God came and he gave us something to practice. He said, I want you to practice this so you begin to see that there is something else for you. 
And that is why he, we're told to take a day of rest. So what does a day of rest become when it signifies this? What is a day of rest? Is it a free lunch? Is it uh, just ease? Is it laying around? Maybe it's living with a deep sense of calm in knowing that God's presence is with you, no matter what's happening. Maybe it's the freedom to give yourself in love because you have something left over. You know, when you have nothing left over, you don't want anyone to knock on your door. It's like, I can't deal with that today. You're all used up by the cares of your life. Maybe it's a deep confidence that you don't have to compete to create your own blessing, that God is unfolding your life as you know it. Then there's another question is, is the rest of God still available? And can it be part of our world, or do we just have this practice now that we do? Well, I hate to say this, I hesitate to say this, but if your life is so intense crazy that it's doing damage to your soul, maybe you're an example of a human condition without God's rest, even if you go to church every Sunday. Hebrews 3 says this, their hearts go astray and they have not known my ways, so I declare they have not known my rest and they are unable to enter because of their unbelief. So the reason we are out of God's rest is not our schedule. Our schedule is a symptom. The reason we are out of touch with God's rest is because of unbelief. But the promise of rest still stands. And if you're interested in this, read Hebrews 4. The way into rest begins with trust and belief. If you hear his voice today, Hebrews keeps saying today you can enter his rest. And there is a way for us to live in this world with all the brokenness where we are living in a life that has faithfulness. Like I live in a life now of moral corruption and brokenness, but I wear my wedding ring and it changes how I live in this world, how I'm seen and what I'm doing with my life, despite what the world is like. So how can we actually practice Sabbath and have it be a way of starting to move us into the rest of God? The first thing I would say is that we are in a world without God's rest, so we have to practice it. And that is true for all of us. You need to find, you need, I need to find a way to include a rhythm regularly in our life, a time of living consciously in God's presence and not striving to provide for ourselves. And I can't tell you how you're going to do that. It's letting go of the burden of creating your own blessing for a few hours and learning to rest in the fact that God gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Secondly, as you taste rest, ask God for a vision for the life of rest, because rest is more than just what you practice. It is something that God wants us to live. And when you see a way, when you hear an invitation, follow it. It will be small at first. It will be breadcrumbs, follow them. Third, Sabbath, since it points to more than a day of rest, it's pointing to a life lived in rest. Practice becoming a Sabbath person whenever you can think of it. What would that mean? It means learning to live in God's presence. What would it mean to live in God's rest with your schoolwork, the load that you're asked to carry? What would it mean to, be, to live in God's rest in your relationships or your longed-for relationships? What would it mean to live in God's rest in your pursuit of a career or a ministry of the longings in your heart. I want to tell you not to let this sermon put a new burden on you. That would go against what Jesus would want. What I'm talking about here is JNC, just noticeable change. What could happen in your life that would begin to remind you 
that you have an identity that isn't exactly the same as everyone in this world. And getting the discipline perfect is not the point, okay? It has to be what you need. We practice a discipline so we can live an unrehearsed life. The discipline is not what changes us. The discipline gives space, gives identity, gives a chance for us to be changed so that in any given moment, we can learn to live our life beautifully. Ask God for wisdom in how you will keep the Sabbath, how you can enter into a life of rest, and maybe this decision will change your entire future.